Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. So good to see all of you. We are going to continue today in our study of the incarnation, the birth of Jesus Christ. So I would invite all of you at this time, let's get out our Bibles or your Bible app and turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. We're going to pick up in verse 1 today and kind of just walk through it as we have been doing. And um, as you um, have seen on your bulletin, the title of this series that we're going through is You're Invited Because what we're seeing and what we have seen and we'll continue to see this week and next week is that every participant in the story of the incarnation was invited by God to join him in what he was doing. So week number one, we looked at Mary and we saw that her invitation was an invitation to believe. Last week, we looked at Joseph and we saw that his invitation was an invitation to obey and this week... We're going to continue by looking at the shepherds, and we're going to see that their invitation was an invitation to share, and so that's what we'll be looking at today, and um, before we get into it, I just want to just kind of let you know I've been studying, as I've been studying this, um, I started thinking on and about shepherds, and I don't know if you have thought much about shepherds, but um, it occurred to me that I don't know a lot about shepherds. I really don't. Maybe some of you are um, quite versed in shepherds. I don't know. There's just really not a lot of shepherds. I'm talking about proper shepherds in the States. There's not. I've had um, some limited exposure to shepherds in the Middle East and in Africa, but in large, I don't really know a lot about shepherds. Um, So I kind of started thinking about, from my limited knowledge, what do I know about shepherds? And I wrote down a few of the things that I know about shepherds. None of this will be a surprise to you, but I'm just telling you this is what I know about shepherds. Um, First, I would say this. If you haven't been around real, proper, professional shepherds, um, the few that I have had the blessing to be around, um, they're an interesting lot. They they really are. Um, Because they hang out with a lot of animals, um, they don't always um, smell wonderful. They, They don't. And being a shepherd is, is, once again, you can imagine it's a dirty kind of job, and they can be away from people for long periods of time, so they can be dirty. They don't have places to shower and stuff like that. Um, the shepherds that I've met and spent time with, they're not wealthy at all. And here's an interesting thing. Now, I'm going to make kind of a large statement. Um, it's, I don't know if it's universal or not. Um, I'm not trying to offend any shepherds. This is, this is my experience with shepherds. Shepherds are not, um, because they're, um, 
by themselves a lot. They're not really up on current events. They have not the best social skills. I mean, if you go up to a a shepherd and you're going to spend some time with the shepherd and you want to talk about current events, it's going to be a really short conversation. Interestingly enough, there there was a time when I was in um, Africa. This was a a young man. Um, He went to the university, the University of Dar es Salaam, and he went to my church, and I was a pastor there. His name was Malubo, and uh, Malubo was an interesting guy. Um, He was... um, he was kind of a shepherd. Let me explain the story. I go up to Malubo and I go, hey, hey, Malubo. I go, Malubo, tell me this. Um, how did you, he's a Maasai. I said, how did you get to the University of Dar es Salaam? He told me this. He goes, well, you see, the deal was, is I was a shepherd. And I'm like, wow, you were a shepherd. I want to know. I don't know a lot of shepherds. Tell me about the art of shepherding or however. I don't know, man. And he's like, he's like well, here's the deal, Travis. Um, I wasn't a good shepherd. You're not a good shepherd. Well, what happened? He goes, well, here's what happened. My father was upset with me because I was not a good shepherd, and a punishment for not being a good shepherd was you got sent to school. So his punishment for being a failed shepherd was that he had to go to school. He did good in school because he made it to the University of Dar es Salaam, but nonetheless, I can tell you some other stories about Malubo specifically. He's an interesting guy. And that's really what I know about shepherds, personally, what I know about shepherds. And there's still a lot of shepherds all over the world today. But we're going to be looking at shepherds specifically from 2,000 years ago. And what we're going to see and what we're going to notice and what we're going to really hold up before us as a, as a, as a church today is this. These shepherds 2,000 years ago were the very first ones that God in his sovereignty chose to tell about the birth of Jesus Christ. That's interesting. It's interesting, I think, really for for two big, broad reasons. First reason, shepherds were on the lower end of the social ladder at that time. I'm uncertain if they've climbed any higher, but nonetheless, back then, they were at the low end. They're not educated, not wealthy, they're unskilled. At that time, 2,000 years ago, they kind of had this, it was unfair, but people would say they were dishonest, and they would say they were unreliable. So much so that 2,000 years ago, the, the testimony of a shepherd would not even be admissible into court. Interesting. It's interesting. Think about this. God in his sovereignty chose to reveal... The birth of Jesus Christ to individuals that their word would not even be recognized in a court. Tells us something about God. It does. There's a second reason why it's interesting. You see, shepherds, especially then, they were kind of in a, um, they they had a difficult position. Because you see, sheep needed caring for seven days a week. Now, if you're taking care of sheep seven days a week, guess what you can't do? You're unable to go and honor the man-made law of the Sabbath that was put in place by the Pharisees. So the Pharisees are sitting there saying, you guys are in perpetual uncleanliness, right? That's what he says. You're unclean. You're ceremonially unclean. Once again, we haven't got to the text yet, but you got to see the, the, what's going on here. This is crazy. The first people that God in his sovereignty says, I want to tell you about the birth of the Messiah. We've been waiting ever since Genesis 3, 15. He tells it to shepherds. Their word could not even be used in court. 
Not only that, the religious leaders, the priests, say those guys are perpetually, perpetually unclean. They're ceremonial unclean, but yet our God in his glory, in his grandeur, in his majesty, sovereignly chose to use them. I would say this real quick. It's not an, that's not an anomaly. God still works that way. God still uses things that seem to be um, little and weak. He uses them for his glory and his grandeur. That's what we're going to see. So let's get into it. Let's get into it. Shepherds. Shepherds. Let's look at these guys. Let's look at these guys. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to walk through the text, and we're going to let the weight of the text fall on us. First thing we're going to see is the Christ is born. Let's just read. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. That was the first registration when Quinarius was governor of Syria. Okay, so, so Luke opens up his um, details of the incarnation kind of by just giving us some historical information, some, some, some context. Um, he says, uh, Julie, or Caesar Augustus, who's he? He is the um, great nephew of Julius Caesar. He's a born fighter. He had defeated Antony and Cleopatra. He was a strong man. Here's what we're really meant to see here. He thought really highly of himself. Like, how, how can we see that? How do we know from this text that he thought highly of himself? Well, his title, um, Caesar, means king. Now, once again, that was not the uncommon part, okay? There was a lot of Caesars before him. The uncommon part was this word, Augustus. He's the first Caesar to ever use the word Augustus with his name, and it means holy. It means revered. And up into this point in Roman culture, that word was only reserved for the Roman gods. He is the first person to allow this word Augustus to be attached to his name, indicating that he was some sort of god, man, or something. So... Self-proclaimed God. Interesting thing about being a self-proclaimed God is um, it costs money to pretend to be God. It just costs a lot of money to pretend to be God. So he needs money. Here's what he does. He needs to tax people. Not just anybody. He needs to tax everyone. Right? So he does this kind of taxation. He says, I'm going to count everybody so I can tax everyone so I can keep pretending to be God. That's what's going on. So verse 3. And all went to be registered each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Um, means house of bread. Interesting. But because he was of the house of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So we see... That this decree came about because this self-proclaimed God-man wanted some money. Anytime a God needs something from you, he's a weak God, right? This is a weak God. <laughs> Nonetheless, this decree comes down to this humble carpenter and this bride who is pregnant, and they have got to go to Bethlehem. I'm not going to get into the details, but the trip from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem, it would have been a long trip. It wouldn't have been an easy trip. I don't know. Um, some of you guys... Um, Maybe you do some hiking. I'm not a real big hiker, but um, even the ideal of hiking 80 miles seems quite um, laborious to me, but they had to do that. So that's what they did. So they get there, 
We get to verse 6, and let's see what happens when they arrive. Verse 6, And while they were there, that's Bethlehem, the time came for her, that's Mary, to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for him, for them in the inn. Uh, There's a lot going on here. Um, But I want to cover a few things, and I want to walk through this because it has become popular. It's really common for us to push things into this text that are not in this text. And so I just want to pull out a few things. I mean, it's so important that we think correctly about God. We don't want to impose upon Him. We're not over the Word of God. We want the Word of God to impose upon us, and we sit under it. So I just want to talk about a few things so we get a correct picture here. First thing, I want you to notice it says, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Now, it does not say, I know that some may think this, it may be portrayed this way at times, it does not say she gave birth as soon as they arrived in Bethlehem. It doesn't say that. It's not there, right? Luke doesn't tell us how long they had been in Bethlehem before she went into labor. Like, she could have been there a day, a week, a month. We just don't know. We don't know. We don't know. In addition, notice, we are not given a description where the birth took place. I mean, we don't know. We don't know. The only thing that we know for sure from the text is it did not occur in the inn. Outside of that, we don't know. We don't know. It's simply not there. Furthermore, I'm going to go a little bit more in this. I kind of want to push into this because I am unsure why, but there's this, um, I don't know, Christian legend. I have no, I've seen it on a cartoon or something where you got Mary and Joseph, you know, going up to the inn and knocking on the inn and then this mean, I don't know, innkeeper comes out and says something like, there's no room for you and, and pushes them away, whatever. That's not in the text. That's not there at all. It's not there. All it says is that there's no place for them in the inn. Now, this word inn is a really broad word. It's not specific. It's not saying they went to the hotel, I don't know, Bethlehem, the Holiday Inn, and someone refused them. This word in the Greek refers to a general lodging. All right? It's saying in general, in the city, there's no room for them. In other words... There's no lodging in the city at that time because all the lodging, we know why, we've already been told, has been taken by all the people coming in to register for the census. So it's saying when they get there, everything's full. There's just no room. There's no need necessarily to make up uh, one person. It's it's actually an indictment on the whole city and not just an individual. And um, man... I've got a similar story. I want to share this story with you. Like, I've actually come to a town before, a decent-sized town, and there was no room in the whole city. It's weird, and that's what's going on here. I, let me. Some of you may already know something like this before I get to it. So we came um, back. We'd been going out of the states for about uh, nine years, and uh, so we're here at, in Tennessee, in, in Chattanooga, and I'm going to. We're going to visit our families. It was Thanksgiving. All right, in Texas. So Friday morning, we wake up to come back. All right, come back here to Chattanooga. 
we got two kids with us, so we, you could do it in a day. I know some of you probably do it in a half day. you got kids, you do it in two days, all right? But we didn't book a hotel on the way. We said, on the way, we're going to pull over when we get tired and get a hotel room, all right? That's what we said. That's what we're going to do. It sounds logical. You know what? I don't know what to do with this, man. Alabama messed us up, man. Let me tell you something. We, I don't know much. I don't know much. I really know very little about the southeast, especially at that time. So it's getting dark, we're tired, we want a hotel. There's this town, there's this town called Tuscaloosa. You heard of it? No. (laughs) Listen, do the math, man. It's Friday night, football season. First weekend after Thanksgiving. I have no idea. I go to, we pull off, I go to a hotel room. I go to the hotel and, and I say, hey, I go to the front desk. I go, hey, man, can I get a room? He goes, no, all the rooms are full. I thought the man was lying to me. I'm like, how in the world can all the hotel rooms be full? And then I said, I'm trying to be nice. My guy got kids. My kids are ready to go to bed, man. I'm like, okay, so tell me, is there another hotel in this whole little town that I might could, could get a hotel? He looks at me and says, no, the whole town is full. There is no lodging for you here. And he laughs at me. Why are you laughing at me, man? He goes, dude, if you want to get a hotel in this room on this day, you got to book it a year in advance. He says, he said this nicely, laughing. He goes, you want a hotel? You got to go to Birmingham. And I go, dude, what is it? Why, what? You guys probably know there's a little football game on that day. He said something called the Iron Bowl. I thought it was some sort of grill fest or something. I'm like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. But the deal was, there was no room. There's no room. Right. We couldn't go. We had to go to Birmingham. Whatever, man. But that's what they're saying. It wasn't just one room. And they get there, the place is full of people. Right? There's no place, so they have to go. All right? Next, they, 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 don't, have a, not, they don't have to find a place, okay? Evidently, they find a place, something. We're not told exactly. It's not described to us. But we're told two details. Two details I want to center on briefly because they're important. Two details. One... She was wrapped in swaddling, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, all right? So let's talk about this real quick. Oftentimes, we read that and we, have an, we tend to think that the reason that's in the text is to let us know that they were without funds, that they were poor. They were poor. The text has already made us known that they're without money. They have very little money. I believe the reason that the swaddling clothes is mentioned there is not to let us know that they were poor, but to let us know that Jesus was like every other baby. Because he's not in royal robes. He's in the same clothes that every other young child at that time would have been wrapped in. All right? I think that's what we're meant to see. He's just like us. Praise his name, man. Second... Said she laid, they laid him in a manger. Oftentimes we tend to think that because it's a manger that it was some sort of stable, but this word manger in the Greek is fonte. It means a trough, a feeding trough. That's all it means, all right? It, you're going to have a trough anywhere there's animals. It doesn't have to be a stall. Now you go back to the middle of the sec- second century, and they said and they claimed that the, the birth was in a cave. But we don't know. We know there's a trough. That's really all we know. We don't know where it was. In fact, you can go to, we've, I've actually been there to the nativity, um, the, 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 um, what is it, the church of the nativity there in Bethlehem. You go up to it, and there's a cave where Jesus was said to be born. I don't know if it's true, but the point is, listen, listen, when he was born, all we know is that there was Mary there, there was Joseph there, and there was baby Jesus. He came, nothing else. And there's no angels 
There's no trumpet blaring. There's no voice from heaven declaring. None of it's there. It's not there. We don't need to push into this. It's Mary. It's Joseph. Alone. We don't know what place, but he's in a trough in swaddling clothes. And that's what we got. Most, it is the most primitive of conditions, all right? So that's his humble birth. Now we're going to get to verse 8, and we're going to see something that um, is most unusual. The angels proclaim. Check this out. Come on, check this out. And in the same region, there was shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. We're given a time there. This is nighttime. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone. Look at this. Look, it says, shone all around them, and they were filled with great fear. Some important things that we need to pull out of here. I've already said some of this. Once again, we're going to shepherds, right? The uneducated, right? The, 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 the weak, those who no one anticipated. God doesn't go to the rich or the religious or the scholars, okay? First thing we see, the picture painted here is you got one angel, Right, you got one angel declaring and saying, showing up, and then we see this word glory. This word glory in the Greek is doxa. It means splendor. It means brightness. It means magnificence. It means it was shining everywhere. This brilliant light, glory of the living God. Okay, so we see the combination of a single angel and the doxa of the living God manifested in front of these guys, and it combined on them, and the result was they were in, it says, great fear. Not a little bit of fear, right? Not even a lot of fear. Great fear. An exceeding amount of fear fell upon them when they saw this angel and the doxa of the living God. The angel sees this, so the angel responds. Verse 10, And the angel said to them, Fear not, first thing, imperative. For behold, strong word, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Man, come on, that's what I'm talking about. Look, you got, don't fear. Why? Why am I not to fear? Because this isn't a judgment, he's got good news. And the result of this good news is it will bring joy. All right. Who? Who is it going to bring joy to, right? All the people of the world. Church, not just you. This isn't just joy for this church, Silverdale. This is not joy just for Chattanooga. This is not just joy for the United States. This is joy for all who will hear every tongue, every tribe, every nation. We cannot miss this. This news is great joy for everyone. There is no one left outside of this. They hear it. It's great news. I don't know, man. I fear that sometimes some of us might think it's just okay news and it ain't for everybody to hear. Not according to this. Not according to this. All right? Cool. Cool. What's the news? <laughs> Great. What's the news? What is the news? He says, Today in the city of David, a Savior is born, the Christ. 
Genesis 3, 15, all 39 books of the Old Testament, talking about it, pointing to it, looking forward to it, the Lord. I don't know, man. said it before, I'll say it again. That is the greatest news my ears ever heard. Period. And I remember when a man stood in front of me and told me, he didn't ask me if I wanted to hear. And I'll tell you this, I've been by God's grace to a lot of places, and this is the greatest news I've ever shared. Christ the Lord. I would say this, the most loving thing you can do is to tell someone who does not know about Jesus about Jesus. It's the kindest, most loving thing you can ever do. Jesus is the answer to every person's greatest problem. Sin, death, damnation, separation from a holy God. The angel continues. As, okay, so, so we're going to, listen, I know some of you, we've heard this before, but I've got to tell you, it gets even better. Um, this is kind of cool, man. Look, verse 12. He describes a little bit more. We got one angel, right? We got this one. We got the doxa of the living God. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a, a manger, a trough. Check it out, verse 13. And suddenly there was the angel... And suddenly was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. So notice that word suddenly. It's painting a picture. You, you can almost see it, can't you? You can almost see it. You got this one angel and, and he's giving this information and it's if, as though he cannot say it fast enough. And all of a sudden, because he is not saying it fast enough, all the heavenly host just burst out and start praising and singing and glorifying the little the, the living God. It's in my head. I think about it like at my house. I got two kids, and so like one of the kids will be telling me something, and if they're telling it too slow, especially if it's it's exciting news, the other one will run in, jump in front, and just burst out and say it. That's what we got going on here, right? The whole heavenly host question might be, well, how many? How, how many of these guys showed up? It says multitude. I don't know what a multitude is. The Greek is plethos. It can mean the whole number. It can mean the multitude. It can mean the whole assembly. We're not told exactly, but what here is what we do know. We know that the appearance of so many angels at one time is unprecedented in Scripture. Nowhere else do you see this, Right? And pay attention, what are these angels doing? They're doing what angels always do. Praising the living God. Glorifying the living God. All of heaven broke loose. Praising and glorifying and exalting the living God. You see these angels, they knew Jesus, the second person in the Trinity, in his glory, in his splendor, in heaven and now they see and they know that he has come among us. And they're celebrating. The angels know about the fall. The angels know about our separation and sin from the living God. Um, what is it? Luke 15, 10 says, Joy is in the presence of the angel over one sinner who repents. So the angels rejoice when one is saved. 
Can you imagine what was going on when they saw the living God be incarnate in flesh and born so that many sons and daughters might be saved? And that's what we see here, unequaled, unparalleled worship, worship, the highest of all truths, the supreme reason that everything exists to glorify God. What a beautiful picture. It's beautiful. And from there, we're going to see what the shepherds do. We're going to see the shepherds share. Verse 15, verse 15. What a glorious picture that was painted for us. But it says, soon the angels departed. So the doxa of the Lord, the glory leaves. And we're told how the, the, the shepherds respond. Check this out, verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see the things that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went Come on, check. You got to circle that word with haste, with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the boy lying, the baby lying in a manger. I want you to notice what they did and what they did not do. All right, here's what we see that they did. Right, it says they went with haste. Right, we're not told how they found them. We're not, we're not. Like, like, remember the shepherds, the shepherds don't get no star, man. The shepherds don't get the star. Once again, we'll talk about this next week. The, the, the star, the star's not even at the birth of Christ. The star comes later. The star's with the magi, the wise men. It's on a house, that's later. These guys don't get a star. They get a star. So I don't know how they knew. Well, they had, well, they had, they could do some, some they, they knew there was in Bethlehem. They knew it was in a manger. They knew there were swaddling clothes. They knew all of that, right? So they, I don't know, I don't know. So, but they take off with haste. They're in the region of Bethlehem. I don't know, maybe a mile, maybe two miles away. So with haste, you get this idea. They, the glory leaves, they jump up, they take off running. There's some, there's some work involved here. There's some effort involved here. You get the idea they're jumping over fences. They get to Bethlehem, and they're asking people, hey, is a baby born? What's going on? Maybe they get really quiet listening for a cry. I don't know, but we are to see that there is some effort here to locate Jesus. They make effort. They do it with haste. They do not just sit around. That's That's what they did. Here's what they didn't do. Here's what they didn't do. They did not... When the, glory, when the docks had left, they did not look at one another and say, you know what? Let's don't go today. Let's don't go see Jesus right now. Because my stuff. Right? Like, like, listen, listen. No, hear me out. Hear me out. If I take off with haste to go see Jesus, um, my stuff's still going to be here. And um, what's going to happen to my stuff? That's a good argument. You know what else they didn't say? They didn't say, you know what? Because this is another good argument. Um, they didn't say, man, the, my grass bed is so comfortable. Jesus, hey, Jesus will be there tomorrow, right? I mean, he's a baby. The baby ain't going nowhere. Why don't we? Listen, listen, listen. Here's what we do. Here's what we do. Let's just, you know, kind of take a good, you know, good nap, good, good sleep, wake up refreshed and go see Jesus. That's crazy to think about. 
with haste. You see, I run into a lot of people who, as crazy as that sounds, that's what they do. They hear about Jesus. Instead of going after Jesus, you know, they'll say something like that. They'll say, man, what about my stuff, right? What about my stuff? Man, if I go do what Jesus wants me to do, man, I may lose some of my stuff, some of my trinkets. Oh, man, some people say this, man, you know, my life, pretty comfortable, pretty comfortable. If I go chasing after Jesus, if I start obeying Jesus, if I start following Jesus, things might not be that comfortable for me. Not the trajectory I thought about, so I'm going to sit here. I am perpetually amazed at people who will cling to the sparkle of trinkets instead of chasing after an all-satisfying, glorious God, but not the shepherds, not the shepherds with haste. They heard, they got up, and they went. You get to verse 17, they find the place, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They're relating to Mary and Joseph what the angels had said. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Once again, there's a lot we could talk about, but here's what we need to see. This conversation that was had was tremendous. The shepherds, Mary, Joseph, talking about it, thinking upon it. The shepherds had an amazing evening, and they did. Their lives were forever changed, but we all know this. No matter how amazing any spiritual event may be in your life, life goes on. It does. The sun rises, and you've got to continue. And eventually the shepherds needed to get back to their flock. But they did not leave in the same manner that they arrived. Look at verse 20. And the shepherds returned. Look what they're doing, church. Look at this glorifying and praising God for all they had heard, all they had seen, as it had been told to them. They leave immediately, and they begin glorifying and praising God, announcing the good news of Jesus Christ to anyone and everyone who would listen to them. Church, here's the deal. Every one of us, Every one of us tells other people about the thing in our life that brings us the greatest joy. I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. Your greatest joy will always be coming from your lips. At your work, at school, wherever you're at. The thing that you get the most satisfaction from, you will tell others about. All right? We do. You do. It just so happened that their greatest joy... And their greatest delight was the living God, and so they leave sharing. So the question is, are you and I sharing? Do we tell others about our greatest delight? Do you tell others? And if you don't, why? No, I mean, why? You think on that. Why would you withhold the greatest news why, why, would, why would we do that? I want to do something real quick. This is how we're going to end. Um, I say this often. Invitations matter. And I could stand in front of us 
10 or 15 different individuals that are here or in this church who came because a co-worker was consistently inviting them to church. Um, I want you to briefly watch a testimony of a story of a man from our church. And I think it's going to resonate with a lot of you because you're going to say, yeah, I've heard that, I've seen that, maybe not with this man. And you're going to see that he was invited to a Christmas service and what the Lord did. Here, watch this video, watch this video. Growing up, I didn't attend church. I had the mindset that I controlled my life. I believed in what I could see, touch, and hear. If people ask me about God or heaven, I would tell them if there is a God and a heaven, I'll get in. I'm not a bad guy. Uh, if the conversation turned to, to Jesus or the Bible, I would say he lived a long time ago. He didn't know me. He didn't have any reason to die for me. I didn't, hadn't done anything wrong. And the Bible was written a long time ago, and I don't know that it would apply to today because it was written for people 2,000 years ago. Fast forward to two years ago, I joined a new team at work. One guy in particular I became good friends with, his name was Mark Schuler. I knew he went to church. I knew he was involved uh, in the church. He knew I wasn't. I don't know that I told him. He could tell by the way I was that I didn't go to church. Over the next 10 to 11 months, we became pretty good friends. And in October of last year, he invited me to church. And I was like, man, I'll go, I'll go. Just an hour out of my life, I want to, you know, hurt our friendship or, or hurt his feelings or anything, so I'll go. So I met him at the fireplace, and he walked me in. I was like, it's a, it's a big sanctuary, it's good. We'll find us a seat, we'll get lost in the crowd, I'll make it through this hour, um, tell him it's not for me, and that'll be it. Well, he walks me up to the very front row, dead center. I'm like, what are you doing? Uh, he said, this is where I sit. And great. I'm gonna have to pay attention. So I did. I listened. I took some notes and I liked it. There was something about it. I didn't feel uneasy. Um, I didn't feel uncomfortable about being in the front row. So I left and I went back home and I told my wife, I was like, I enjoyed it. Let's, let's go back next week. And we did. And we came the next weekend and the next weekend and she bought me a Bible and I started reading in it. So we came to the Christmas Eve service, and I walk in, and from the first song, I get choked up, and I'm like, whoa, are you fixing to cry in public? Get it together. And I'm taking the notes in the bulletin, and the last one was confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I just, I just felt it. I was like, it's, it's time. It's time for me to stop being hard-headed. So Pastor Tony started doing his, uh, the time of response, you know, asking, you know, if you can come down to the altar, and today could be the day of your salvation. He starts this prayer, and I don't remember anything he said. So I started praying on my own, asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins, um, that I was sorry for, for all the years of denying him and thinking that, that I was in charge of my life and asking to be my, my Lord and Savior. And this overwhelming just weight being lifted off of me, and then just this, this inner peace. Every day he proves me how, how real he is, that he does exist, and that he loves me. Uh, my relationship with my wife, with my stepsons, has improved tremendously. I don't rule that iron fist anymore. I have more compassion and more patience with them. We've joined a small group that's like family to us. We went on a mission trip to Peru. I know that I spent my first 40 years serving myself. I'm going to spend the rest of my days serving him. And it all started with an invitation.
Invitations matter. Invitations matter. I want us to be a people who invite others to church, to this service, to the Christmas series, and specifically to the the um, Christmas Eve service. But I also don't want to, um, I want to say this correctly, I don't want you to think this is like a one-time thing. I've been saying it for a while. I want us to continually to live this out, to be a people who invite other people to church. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.